So it's really an awesome privilege for us to be able to share with you. Um, partly, my wife is going to share a lot from her heart. I'll just be watching her um, while she's sharing. Um, and uh, then at the end, I'll close. But I want us to just pray. Father, thank you that in the beginning, you created relationships. You created family. And family and relationships have always been on your heart. Lord, when we talk about relationships, we, we have so many uh, experiences. Some are good and some are not so good. Lord, we pray today that you would hear our hearts. Uh, where we've been wounded, where we've been hurt, where we've hurt and wounded other people. That you would heal us, Lord, and forgive us and help us. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Awesome. So, we're going to be talking about celebrating love and, um, and relationships um, and so I want to start with this scripture. It's um, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. They had written him a letter uh, from the church in Corinth. And they were asking him about a few things. Because obviously these people had come to the Lord and they didn't know how to live their lives going forward. And uh, some of them were widows, okay, who were receiving provisions from the temple. Some of them were single people who were still living lives of immorality. Uh, some of them were married people who were, uh, you know, if you read the letter of Paul, who were really depriving each other, <laughs> of each other as married people. And so Paul is speaking in this context to all of them. He's speaking to the widows, to the singles, and to the married. And so this is what he says. He says, uh, now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried. It is good for them to stay unmarried. It's not a sickness. As I do, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, I want to start with this. If you're a widow here, all right, this is yours as well. All right, if you are a single person, this is about relationships. This is for all of us, what God wants for all of us. And so he says to, to the single people, he says, it is actually good for you to be single. It's not, you are not a sick person or, or you, you, are not, you are not a reject of society just because you're not married. Paul, who was writing, he himself was a single person. He says, I actually wish that you guys would be as single as me. But I understand that some of you don't have the grace to stay single because you burn with passion. And as such, you should marry if you burn with passion. So what is the Bible saying? The Bible is not saying that if you are not if you're not married, you don't count in the kingdom. The Bible is saying every single person counts in the kingdom. Whether married, unmarried, or widowed, or divorced, every single person counts in the kingdom. And so I want you to know, even from the onset of this message, that you matter, you're important to God and to us here. And so this is not just for those who are married. This is for all of us. Amen. And so... We are going to summarize our message today into four R's, uh, four R's that we uh, think are going to help us and help us obviously uh, teach well. Uh, it has already helped me to fight less because I knew we are preaching together. <laughs> so just some things that I would rather, uh, I'd rather avoid, but no, I'm not going to touch that because Sunday we're preaching. <laughs> so, so if you want to not fight and have a wonderful, wonderful relationship, just Preach together with your wife. It helps. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I'm going to start with the first R, uh, 
which I believe is revelation. In terms of marriage and relationships in general. Revelation. Now, what is revelation? I want us to read, this is the story when Abraham had spoken to his servant to find a wife for his son Isaac. Now, Abraham knew that everything he had, the promises that God had given him, were going to be accomplished fully through his son Isaac and his lineage. And so, the spouse that his son was going to choose was very critical in the accomplishment of the promises of God in their lives. That, that you know, if, if Isaac didn't marry well, the promises that God gave to Abraham, some of them might have not been accomplished because of the covenant of marriage. Because marriage is a covenant and it was important that the person that he came into covenant with was someone who was going to help him together fulfill the promises that God had given them. And so, here is when the servant of Abraham had gone into the country that Abraham said he should uh, choose his son's wife from. And so the Bible says in uh, Genesis 24, verse 11 to 14, it said, Then he stopped, referring to the servant, near the well outside the town. There he made the camels get down on their knees. It was almost evening, the time when women go out to get water. Then he prayed, Lord, you are the God of our master Abraham. Make me successful today. Be kind to my master Abraham. I am standing beside the spring. I'm standing rather behind, uh, beside the spring. The daughters of the people who live in this town are coming out here to get water. I will speak to a young woman. I will say to her, please lower your jaw so I can have a drink. And so the servant comes to this place. Obviously, he looks for a strategic place. Now, all right, if you are single here and you are looking for a, a, a lady or you're looking for a guy, you need to make yourself available in strategic places. It's important. You know, he knew that he wouldn't just find a lady anywhere else. He knew he needed to go to the well. Because at that time of the evening, ladies would come and hang out. They would come and draw water. It wasn't just anywhere. It was a strategic place. All right? And so I hear often people talk about, you know, where nobody has seen me, all this, but where are you hanging out as a single person? No, I'm not saying you should go to nightclubs. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about finding yourself in good places, strategic places. Find some friends. Go out together. Come to the movie night where you get to be seen and get to see other people. Hang out at strategic places. Serve on a serving team. Greet people at the door. When we have people coming in, they get to see you and meet you. Find yourself in strategic places. But that was me sidetracking. That was not in the, in the script. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, but he went to the well. All right? And, and there the Bible says, before he engaged any persons, he prayed. He knew that, that involving God in this pursuit was critically important. He knew that a revelation from God that the person I'm going to be covenanted with is important. That the revelation from God, that, that there's, there's peace in my heart to be with the person that I'm with is important. 
And, and it's amazing sometimes to see people that rely on their own eyes and their own logic to be able to find a partner that you are going to spend the rest of your life with that you have no idea what two years holds for you. Whereas God is om- omniscient and omnipotent. When you engage God and God gives you the peace and the revelation, He knows 10 years ahead of time. So when, when you refuse to get a revelation from God and to rely on God to help you find your mate, I think you set yourself up for a very disastrous relationship. But for the married, what, what the revelation does is that, that when, the, when the wind begins to beat against your marriage, when, when your marriage begins to experience some turbulence, when, when along the way your journey, your, maybe your children are, are going astray, or maybe your finances are not doing so well, or maybe you, you, you find yourself to be ill for a long time, or this, you have all these challenges in your marriage. When you got a revelation from God, you always go back to that. Because the temptation to begin and take each other for granted is very, very high. But when you know that God spoke to you about the treasure that you're with, when you know that God spoke to you about the amazing person that God has covenanted you with, even when the winds are beating against your marriage, you know, man, this is treasure from God. This person is precious from God. And I would not take them for granted because I know what God said about them. Come on. And so it's important for us to get a revelation. Okay, so the second R, assuming that you found your special person, is romance. So what kind of romance can you get out of marriage, right? So it's not just about a Valentine's Day type of night where you've got the candles set up and you've got the lights and the dinner. It should be more about a culture that you cultivate in your marriage. It should be more about how we live life and not just an occasion that we place there and say 14th of February or on, or on your birthday should be something that we strive to live up to in our marriages. So the first one for me is companionship. Let's turn to Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12, which says, two are better than one because they have good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm but how can one keep warm alone? Though, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And who better than your spouse to be your companion? I mean, friends are good, guys. It's good to have companions who are friends and people that you hang out with. But who better than this person that you chose to spend your life with, that you have children with, that you share milestones with, the person that you get to travel with, the person that you get to see cry, if there's any time where you have to, where they're grieving, you're with them in that time of grieving. Who better than your companion to do that? The second one is, of course, physical intimacy, sex. That's, I mean, that's a, a pleasurable act. That's something that's God given for two people in marriage. Come on. <laughs> in marriage, single people. <laughs> so sex is an expression of love. And when you have sex with your partner in, in marriage, it basically shows that you're affirming them and approving them and, and that you love them. Wives, I know sometimes it might not be easy to just get there, get into the mood, 
but sometimes it's actually something that you have to work at. And it's actually a blessing. It's, it's not a curse. It's not meant to be a duty, but it's meant to be something that you both enjoy because it's a gift. Now, when you look at, sometimes you find that um, you get relationships where you, you struggle in the beginning, especially in the, in the first years of marriage, where sex is, is more of a, we have to do it, um, but you're not really sure. Sometimes you find that you've got, you've got times where you've, you've lived in your life and there's porn and influences that have influenced you bad or negatively in your life that you try to imitate. When you get into a marriage, you try to imitate movies or soapies and that type of thing. And, and God is actually saying, no, this thing is sacred. This is meant to be for the two of you to discover each other. Look at Adam and Eve. They didn't have anyone to tell them that, guys, this is how you do it, or, or a book, or a psychologist to talk to. They looked to. at the monkeys. <laughs> yeah, they probably, <laughs> they probably looked at the monkeys and thought, well, uh, and he was like, I don't know if I can swing like that, though. <laughs> but, but, you know, so they had to figure it out together. And that's the beauty of it, that sex is about knowing one another. It's about coming together and learning. And, and even in the beginning, there might be a trial and error phase. But after time, you will see that it actually gets better. It connects you. It, it's, it's that sexual intimacy that's, the, that's needed in a marriage. Let's move on to the last one, which is fulfillment. And here I'll be talking about the five love languages. If you haven't read the book, please get the book by Gary Chapman. And the five are acts of service, receiving gifts, physical touch, um, quality time, and words of affirmation. So it's very important for us as couples to know each other and to know what love language your spouse receives or is more connected to. So there are five. So some, I feel like I, I, I'm in tune or I like all five at, a, at, at any different time. time. Yeah, at different times. But mainly you would have... <laughs> Mainly you would have your top two or top three, which it's important for your spouse to know which one fulfills you because it's not about a tit for tat, but it's more about I am giving you or showing you how you receive love. And in turn, without even wanting or expecting you to give it back to me, you're already motivated to give me back my love languages. For example, Mike, big soccer fan if you don't know, huge Soccer plays, I think, on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Saturdays, afternoon, evenings, and some Sundays. If it's not a World Cup of some kind, soccer plays all the time. If there isn't so a soccer match, they are the highlights. Yeah. <laughs> so you can imagine there's soccer every day, any day, any time. And in the beginning, it used to bother me that, you know, this guy, he's just all for soccer. What about me? What about my time? And I found myself feeling almost bitter towards that sport because I don't, I don't like soccer. Soccer's not my thing and I'm okay with that. And I hope he's okay with that. But so eventually, I think he strategized a way where when he's watching soccer and he knows that there's a soccer match on a Tuesday or on a Wednesday, he says, okay, I'm watching soccer tonight, but I will hook you up. And that hookup basically was a foot massage. So, I, <laughs> so it's a win-win situation here. Solutions, you, you need to find a strategy that works for you. So his love tank is filled when I cook him a nice meal 
and he's watching soccer and he gets to shout and scream or whatever. And I get my foot massage and I sleep and all is good. <laughs> so it's important, guys, learn your spouse's love language. It actually brings you guys to fulfillment because that's the way that you express to each other that you love each other. And, and just to say, hey, I, I know that you like this. I know that you like this meal. I'm going to make it for you. Or, hey, I know that, oh, get a gift. Get them a bag or whatever they like. But that's important. Yeah. It is, absolutely. And I think what you were saying just a moment ago, love, the, when, when you read Genesis, God or Moses, who is supposed to, at least assumed by theologians, is the scribe who wrote Genesis, uses the word Adam knew Eve, and then they had a child. So the, the very act of sexual intimacy was not just a physical engagement. It was a knowing engagement. It was, I'm getting to know you. That's why we're doing this. Uh, this is not just, just for monkey swings. This, this, is, <laughs> this is us getting to know each other, discovering each other. And if, if that's the goal of getting to know each other and discover each other, then it will never get boring. Because the person never remains the same. They are always growing. They are always maturing. And, and, and the more they grow and mature, the more you have to know and discover about them. And so it's important to understand that, that part of you know, knowing each other involves the love languages that they speak and so forth and so on. The third R. Now, I, I like summarizing my notes to confuse the people so they can listen to me. <laughs> so that means reality. <laughs> so if you're writing down, the third R is reality. Now I'm going to read from Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, uh, sorry, chapter 2. This is uh, verse 20, 19 to 22, but I just summarize it. It said, that is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Like naked, and they felt no shame. They were actually watching soccer, I think, uh, while they were naked. But <laughs> but, but th this was before sin had invaded the garden. This God was speaking within the context of perfection. Before the brokenness, the woundedness had come into society. And, and God is so, such a schoolmaster. Listen to what he says. He says, a man shall leave his father and his mother. Like this, it, it just almost indicates like a healthy family environment. Like you're coming home from a father and a mother. And you are leaving and you are uniting with your wife. But how many of us these days are coming from mom and are coming from dad? Some of us are just coming from mom. Others of us are coming from mom and a half. Others are coming from dad alone. And, and very few of us are coming from leaving your father and mother and be cleaved to your wife. Either you, it might just be a physical home of your father and mother that you are living, but emotionally there was never father, there was never mother. Literally, you're not coming from the beginning of Scripture. You're not coming from a place where God wanted you to come from. 
in order to start a good marriage. Literally, you're coming from a broken place. You yourself are wounded and broken. And you meet this person. They are the same as you, wounded and broken. And God puts you together to build a marriage that reflects him. He says they shall become one. Like, who is that one? Like, recently I started asking, so, Lord, who's that? I think my wife should become like that. That's what the Bible says. We should become one. Oh, no, no, no. That, that, that is not what the Bible says. But there's, there's a constant fight to try and see who do we become. Is, do I become my wife? Does she become me? Who, who's the one flesh that we become? Because we both are coming from brokenness. We are both broken. So if, if we become one in our brokenness, it means our marriage from the onset is already broken. Our relationship from the beginning is just destroyed. And so, see, for example, I, I, I value time. Value time a lot, but I like to be on time. You know the difference. My wife likes to be 10 minutes before time. I like to arrive on time. <laughs> so if the meeting is starting at 9, if I'm there one minute to 9, I'm on time. <laughs> and my wife likes to be there 10 minutes before. And uh, I used to think this was a small thing in the beginning of our marriage, but it caused us a lot of fights because my wife can be very, very tight with time. I actually, the one day he came to pick me up for a date and he must have been like 20 minutes late and we didn't communicate. I did not go down. <laughs> I was, was staying in an apartment. I did not go for that date. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I don't know why people are clapping, but anyway... <laughs> And so, you know, I, I mean, I knew that, hey, I'm not, a, I'm not a latecomer, but I, you know, if I'm running five minutes late, I'm still within my time. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it was that, and it was in my language. You know, as a guy, I, I would easily say, hey, I'm around the corner. I'm just getting on the highway. You know, like, I'm around the corner. And my wife would literally take that, that you're around the corner. And I'm, I'm like, That's no, what you no say. I'm just getting you're on the highway. The And, um, I mean, that caused us a lot of fights. You know, canceled dates, and I'm driving back home frustrated and upset. I prepared that, I booked for the place. Now you're saying no because I'm 20 minutes late. But, but these were somehow, Sam, these were two schools that we kind of came from. And, and in the beginning, I just, I never understood why my wife would just get would cancel a date just because I'm like 20 minutes. It's like, so like we are going for a business meeting. Like we're just going for a date. Like if we are late by 20 minutes, so what? Surely I'm more important than a business meeting. Oh. <laughs> That's my thinking. But, but, but I, I think this was part of me coming from a different place and learning to cleave to my wife. And us becoming one and me learning to unlearn some things that I thought were okay. And, and they weren't working for us. Really, they were just causing us to fight. Because when a date is canceled, I drive back home. Hey, that evening we're not talking. The following morning, we might not be talking. We might talk only in the afternoon trying to resolve what happened yesterday. You know, and, and that was not healthy for our relationship. 
And so the Bible says, anyway, a man leaves his father and his mother, and then he's cleaved to his wife, and the two become one. And we come with our brokenness. And, and this is what I would love to propose to us, that this is what becoming one means. It means I'm there, and she's there. And the one at the top there is God. We both become one in God because God is perfect. God is the one that created marriage and he's got the perfect picture of marriage. And and as much as we pursue God together, we become one. The more my wife pursues God and the more I pursue God, the more one we become. I have not seen any marriage that breaks down where two where the two spouses or the two partners are fully devoted to God and are both pursuing God. I have not seen that. I have seen cases where one partner is pursuing God, the other one is backsliding, the other one is kind of just angry with God or dealing with some issues with God and not trusting God. But where the two people are both actively and committedly pursuing God, they are more and more becoming one. And so then how do we resolve that That brokenness that we bring into the marriage is by us pursuing God together. It's me being committed to pursuing God and my wife being committed to pursuing God in order for us to become one in God. Maybe your turn. Awesome. So let's move on to the last R which is the RAND. The cost that we pay for a good marriage. So there are three pointers here that I'll talk to. First one being time, second effort and the third is money. In terms of your time, so I'll divide it between the single people and the married people. In terms of your time, singles, what is the time that you have to pay before you get married? Ladies, this is for you. It's the time that you're waiting for the guy. It's the time where you're trusting in the Lord for that guy that you're praying for. And yes, I agree with what Mike said in the beginning, that it's, it's not just, oh, Pastor Andrew said it, that it's not just about waiting and wasting your life waiting about looking to God. So it's that time of looking towards God, but also trusting and praying to God for that man. For the guys, it's the time of also seeking for that woman and praying. Prayer is important in this time where you're waiting. For the married people, there's some troubled marriages. Sometimes you find that, you know, marriages will always have a level of drama, I think. You know, there'll always be something that causes two people to have conflict. And conflict is a good thing. Conflict is not always a bad thing. But sometimes you find that there's infidelity or really serious matters in a marriage where one spouse is praying, one spouse can be straying. You know, and in that time of praying and trusting in God for your marriage to be healed and trusting for God to, to, to show his breakthrough powers in your marriage is important you'll find that there's some people who marry someone who's not saved, you know, unequally yoked. And there's a time of praying, a time of consulting with the people that you trust to stand with you, to pray for that person to have an encounter with the Lord, for God to show up in that person's life. That is the time that you would take in marriage and in singleness to trust in God. The second one is effort. For the single men, putting effort in terms of pursuing a lady. Nowadays, you find that there's a culture. I was speaking to a friend of mine at work, and 
there's a culture of women, and I, I don't think it applies to anyone in our church, but where outside women are confident enough to approach a man and and ask a man out on a date or ask a man out for his number. And for me, I'm I'm quite old school in that I, I don't I don't believe in that. I don't agree in that. I've never agreed with that, that a woman should pursue a man. I, I believe that a man should pursue a woman and the woman should be found by a man. It's tough. When you're looking at a biological clock, it's difficult. When you're looking at I'm 39 and he hasn't come, but that's the time where you put the effort and trusting in the Lord for your man. I'll, I'll give you our example. So when I met Mike, obviously I was single at that time and uh, I was trusting in God to get married before 27. But I was, yeah, I was quite young then, I was 24. And went into the church that Mike was pastoring at that time. And I saw him. I liked him. But I thought, okay, well, I don't know much about this guy. Let me just wait. Told my mother about him. I prayed. Told my friends about him. We did our research on Facebook. Found that he's, <laughs> found out that he's not married. So I was like, okay, yes. He's good looking. He's not married. That one is mine. But I was reading a book called The Rules. And it's quite a strict book in that it, it, it tells you things like, don't go Dutch on a date, which means if you go out on a date, don't go 50-50. Don't, don't pay anything. He must pay. Um, such as make sure that he pursues you. Don't, don't make any, make yourself available, but don't make it obvious that you like him. So wait, basically. And I followed those rules to the T. <laughs> there must have been about 10 where... How, when he calls you, don't speak on the phone for more than 15 minutes. It was a little crazy, to be honest with you. But I enjoyed it because I felt like I, I saw the results. And, you know, after, after a couple of months of being around Mike, he had introduced himself. He had asked me out on a date um, for coffee. And I think within four months, he had told me that he wants to get married. So I was like, what? This thing is real. But I think there was... It, it was just my patience as well and trusting in the Lord and praying on the side and not necessarily taking it up on myself to say, okay, well, I like you. Can, can we date? Because it can be easy to do that. It can be very, very easy to do that. The effort in marriage, women, women and men, still, you have to initiate. Initiating dates, initiating date nights, initiating going to a conference. It's not just for the men to do, but it's for women as well. I'll give you an example of us about three weeks ago, three or four weeks ago. So I, I planned a date night. We always have our date nights on Friday. Planned a date night where I told Mike just to arrive at the place. I didn't give him any more information. So I said to him, Friday morning, I said to him, when you leave the house, we don't know each other. You and I don't know each other. So we're going to play pretend tonight. When you get to the venue, we introduce each other like we've never met before. And so when he left, uh, around 12 o'clock, around 1 o'clock, I sent him a message saying, Hi, Mike. Um, I'm so excited to meet you. This is the venue. Please arrive at 7. Don't drive. Take an Uber. So he arrived at 7 o'clock. It was a little awkward in the beginning, you know, to kind of pretend because I know this person. But that's how we, we actually lived up to that. And it was, it was such a beautiful night because... I realized there's certain things that I forgot about him. There's certain things that, I, that sparked my interest again. Like, oh, wow, he is like that. And, and, and just the conversation, it felt new again. It was exciting for me. And we went out um, for drinks after that, still not knowing each other. 
I'd booked a hotel around the city, and yeah, it was a great time. Amen. It was an amazing. <laughs> I'm just agreeing with what she's saying. <laughs> so it's not just it, it wasn't. So what I'm saying here is, ladies, don't leave it just to the men. Ladies, don't leave it just to the men to initiate fun or romance in your marriage. It's it's for you as well, and. It, it will actually do something for you. Because I also went through a time where I was like, well, he's a man. He must do this. He must just make sure that we're having the fun. And, and he must take care of all of that. But it actually sparked something in me again to plan that evening for us. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. Meditate on them. There comes a time in marriage where you pass the honeymoon phase and you get into the reality phase where you don't have the butterfly feeling anymore. Things don't come naturally. You don't feel in love sometimes. It fluctuates. And in that time, that's where these things apply. The scripture applies. We think of the good things. Think about the things that made you fall in love with this person when you met them. Go back to those first days because that's what's going to... That conviction that you got, that revelation that you got in the beginning, that's where it counts. That's when it counts, actually, in the reality phase of marriage. Because it goes like this, up and down. Sometimes it's great, sometimes it's not great. But it's in those times where you have to just really look into this person and, and remember the things that made you fall in love with them. The last one on the rand... It's actually money. What is the cost, we, the financial cost that we have to pay to have a good marriage? For the single people, 1 Timothy 5.8 says, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This, this just shows you how serious it is that you have to be someone who can provide for yourself before you provide for anyone else. So two assumptions that, Number one, you're old enough, you're an adult, you're over 21 or 18, whatever the age of majority is, 18. And that you've got at least a job that can pay some of your bills. Single people, do not get married if you don't have, if you don't meet those two. You're old enough and you've got a job that can pay your bills. Because money will become a serious problem in your marriage. The divorce statistics, that say, divorce in, in well, one of the top three reasons for divorce is money. Money, sex, and I'm not sure what, infidelity probably, the other one. But money is one of the top three. It just shows you how critical it is for people to get into a relationship almost being good stewards of money. For the married people, yes, you get house husbands sometimes. Well, not much in South Africa, but you do get them. And you get housewives, and I'm all for that. But there has to be a source of income. And there has to be a level of us being good stewards of that income. Where does it start? It starts with tithing. Tithe, guys. It starts there with the little. Tithe. Be faithful with the little. It's, it's Luke 16, 10. It says, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is dishonest in much. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Thank you, love. And, and just as we are concluding in terms of, of money, um, it, it's important because faith, faith
faith is not without wisdom. Our faith is with wisdom. And we are, when you are walking in wisdom, does not mean you are walking out of faith. And, and see, love will not pay your rent at the end of the month. Okay? And when your rent is not paid, it becomes a problem. So instead, when you are single and, and you don't have a job yet, don't rush into getting married. Get a job. It's important. Get a job. Yes, you can build your career from them. Nobody says you should have millions before you get married. But have a job that can be able to pay something, pay your rent, and pay this and that. Because that will reduce the amount of frustration and pressure that you put on a young marriage if you don't have a job or you don't have a source of income. And so that's really, really important. And the tithing. Um, is important. I think it's an indication of someone's good management of money. Single ladies or guys, you meet someone who's working and they don't pay their tithe. Don't trust them yet. <laughs> tell them, tell them, you, if you can't give to God, how will you give to our family? If you can't give to God, how will you give to our children? If you can't give to God, and it's important that they're able to give to God whilst they're still single. Can we stand? We're going to pray and then Pastor Kara is going to come up and, and just close the service. Father, thank you for this awesome time. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that our relationships will, be, will, will grow and will flourish. Lord, thank you that our love for one another as spouses will grow. Thank you that our marriages will grow and improve. We bless you. We thank you.